Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Science of Pokemon. I am your host, Veteran Lucas, and with me today is my good friend and yours, Fisherman Don. What's up, dude? How you feeling? I, I know you were sick earlier this <coughs> week. That Honestly, I promised that cough was not uh, queued up or staged or anything. Um, yeah, I was, uh, I was real sick uh, Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, I think I'm on the mend today, which means I'll overdo it and get sick again. Fantastic. All right, so let's see if we can run down the clock to make sure neither of us get sick. Because I was sick before you, then you're sick. Like, maybe Matt will be next. Maybe all the way in Ohio he'll be next. All right. Anyway, so today's episode, uh, we decided to go a little bit more abstract. We're going to go a lot wider than one group of animals. We wanted to talk about teamwork. Teamwork makes the dream work. But not just dreams. It also makes nightmares come true. So... A lot of animals, a lot of organisms work together to survive, sometimes against, sometimes each other, sometimes with each other. It, it's interesting to see those relationships that were put into the game intentionally or otherwise. So we're going to go ahead and get to talking about why teamwork and working together can help you survive or kill you. Ready? Let's do it. Yeah, so I'm going to open up with some Pokemon news. Uh, Lucas, did you know that Detective Pikachu's out? Uh, you know, I heard inklings that such a film was in our respective theaters. I uh, Okay, no, it was awesome. I saw it. I saw it a few days ago. I posted my reactions on our Patreon. It was awesome. It's so good. It's so good. I can't wait. I'm going to go see it on Sunday, uh, on Mother's Day, with my sister and maybe my mom, because she likes to be included. But, um little bit of more i guess news if not everyone here follows pokemon go or plays pokemon go that much as times for the movies there's pikachus with detective hats on running around that you can catch and i there is shiny apom which creeps me out but uh i still want one i mean that just sounds really really cute <laughs> no I, I i honestly like detective pikachu broke the curse there is now a good video game movie like, I, I didn't think I'd live to see the day. I'm so happy. Yeah, I guess nostalgia. I don't know. I mean, I really enjoyed. Um, maybe it's some little bit of nostalgia, but Pokemon Mewtwo Strikes Back, like the OG Pokemon movie, I thought was pretty pretty sweet. Yeah, no, it uh, it's been it's been so nice to just think about it. That it was Pokemon who did it, not Halo. Anywho, yep. so with our with our science news, it is, thanks to Detective Pikachu, I've got nothing else in my brain except Pokemon. This one was actually posted to us by one of our fans, so thank you. Posted us on the Facebook page. Apparently, there was research that went on that was trying to study how young minds can adapt and learn a lot of different shapes and colors based on different ways they're designed. It was a very extensive paper. If you want to read the full thing. I'll post a link, but it was posted in, if I get my papers, ah, in Nature and Human Behavior. Um, the idea was they studied a bunch of people who played Pokemon as a kid, and they found that a certain portion of the brain was far more active than a normal person. So the way the article phrased it, you have a special place in your brain where all your Pokemon knowledge is kept. Oh, it's absolutely awesome. And now... When I would, I just remember being younger and getting the age-old, uh, you know, parental snark of if you devote as much mental space to Pokemon as you do, you know, math or other school-type subjects, 
now I, we know that we made extra space for it. So you can't blame Pokemon on my failures, parents. Yeah, no, you can just blame his other failures on his failures. He's we we built our own brain. No, no, I I love this because you're you're absolutely right. People can be like, oh, Pokemon rotted brain. No, no, it's cool. Pokemon actually helped me keep a part of my brain fired up. It's interesting because that part of your brain is used mainly for recognizing animals. So I guess we both used that in our field in one way or the other. Exactly. So all the fun news is out of the way. Let's go ahead and talk about some toxic and not-so-toxic relationships. Yeah, let's get to it. All right, so when animals work together, when other organisms work together, uh, we have a word for it, and that is symbiosis. It comes from the Greek word meaning to live together, and it's, a, it's defined as a close relationship between two or more organisms. Uh, most animals do actually have some kind of symbiosis in one way or the other, but there are a ton of different varieties. There's so many different ways that animals and other organisms can play off each other for the betterment or the worse of any of either individual. There's so many that's actually divided up into three different categories. Uh, there's oh wait, there's one more uh, that we're not going to talk about. Immensalism. It's weird. It's pretty much the idea of an animal's teamwork where you kill something, but you get nothing out of killing it, like stepping on grass. It's it's weird. I, I don't want to talk about it. It was absolutely um, whatever behavioral scientist just needed to publish a paper to keep his tenure, um, and he just made up that one and just threw it in there. Uh, it seems here you wrote a paper about how people – things kill things. Oh, and, and, and feel nothing. like that. Th this is your paper. This Get out. All right, so mutualism is the one that people think of when they think symbiosis. Mutualism is the idea that it's a relationship where everybody gets something out of it. This is your standard teamwork makes the dream work. This is where somebody's going to get one thing while someone's going to get the other. Full model alchemist, equivalent exchange, this is exactly what it is. So the benefits can be a lot of things. It can be food, transportation, helps with reproduction, and a shelter. I think the most common one that's in our line of work is the coral reef, clownfish, and anemones. Yeah, that's um, especially when people think symbiosis and they think mutualism. Clownfish and anemone is probably the most common one that comes to mind, where the anemone is a you know, stationary jellyfish, basically, and the clownfish is a small fish that has pretty much no really defensive mechanisms, and they're pretty slow swimmers, but they're adapted to live within the tentacles of the anemone. So that they're sheltered from predators, and in return, they help. They'll defend the anemone pretty aggressively from um, the few fish that do eat anemones, or from uh, certain species of worms that will eat anemones. And uh, so, yeah, one gets a house, and one gets uh, security. So it works out nicely. Now, according we when we did these notes, you put there was another one here that I've never heard of. So obviously, the clownfish and the anemone are things that people heard about. What on earth is a lesser black tarantula and a humming frog? Okay, so this is one of my favorite examples of any form of symbiosis there is. And it's two animals that sound kind of made up. So there's the Colombian lesser black tarantula and the dotted humming frog. Um, the Colombian lesser black tarantulas, like it's a good sized tarantula. I think they get like six, seven inches across. So like they're not the biggest, but they're big. And uh, the dotted humming frog is a very small frog. Um, tarantulas are... You know, they dig burrows. Um, frogs also like to live in burrows during the day 
for the heat, avoid all that stuff. So like, it's not that uncommon for animals to live in the burrows of other animals. But tarantulas, typically, if something's small enough for them to eat, they're going to eat it, assuming they're hungry, or it triggers the prey response. And these frogs would absolutely be on a tarantula's menu. They're tiny. Um, but the dotted humming frog is very, very good at eating ants. Ants are very good at eating tarantula eggs. And tarantulas are very bad at killing ants because they just don't really have the equipment to do it. I mean, like, the fangs are great when something's, you know, this maybe the size of a small frog or a mouse or something like that. Or a, but they can't really do a lot to ants. So the frogs hang out and they eat the ant eggs that threaten the tarantula. And uh, the tarantula lets it stay. And in turn, if, you know, a small snake or a larger frog comes in looking for a frog meal, the tarantula is going to eat that animal to protect the frog. It's a pet then. It's like a It's basically a pet. Yeah. Aww. It's, it's, a a very, it's a very cute frog too. They're very like kind of like dumpy I mean, looking. Like, that's such a weird little idea of just that like it's an invertebrate that kind of owns the vertebrate, which is usually the reverse if we're doing any of this. Yeah, it absolutely seems like the tarantula does most of the heavy lifting. All right, so the other one, this is um the other, it's not as common as our next one, but it's still, it's a weird one. It's, it's commensalism. Now, this is a relationship where one species gets something, while the other one gets squat. So this is something where uh, cattle egrets are a great example. They're all over Florida. They're all over a lot of different parts of the world. Uh, what they'll do is they will walk near cattle. They will wait for them to stir up the bugs, and they'll eat the bugs. The cattle's getting nothing out of this. It, it's not getting any sort of benefit of any kind. It's not losing anything either. It's just somebody is taking advantage of somebody's regular day and just having it there. Uh, woodpeckers are another example. If they're living in a tree that doesn't care if they're drilling holes in them, they're able to live in those areas. If it's not harming the animal, it's commensalism. One example of this could be something like um, the pilot fish and uh, a shark. Uh, pilot fish are those little striped uh, jackfish that hang out kind of right under the nose of a shark. Some people back in the day thought that they were leading the shark. Um, they hang out under the shark right there to steal scraps and uh, to have the protection that comes with being just below the nose of a shark, but um, not tasting very good. And they don't really do anything for the shark. They don't pick parasites off the shark or anything like that. Um, they're just kind of there. The shark's okay with it. And now we come to the portion of our show which might make you vomit. Parasitism is a symbiotic relationship as well. This is, well, you all know what a parasite is. It's something that's going to attack or live on or inside an animal. It's going to get some benefits, but it's going to make that animal's life worse. This is your Spider-Man symbiote, We Are Venom parasite. This thing is going to have a place to live, but it's going to have a detrimental cost to your life. It's it's not fun. In fact, I think there was a study that found there was anywhere from four times as many parasitic, parasitic animals than there are free-living ones, which is mildly terrifying. Well, I mean, it'd be super convenient I'm, if you were the parasite. Being a parasite is a pretty good life, to be honest, and they're one of the most complicated when it comes to how they survive. Uh, most people have this idea that parasites always kill their host, but it's actually quite rare. For a parasite, killing a host is the equivalent to burning down your own house. Uh, the exception is with, the, uh, with a lot of parasites that use the animal passing as a way of furthering its own life cycle. Um, have you ever heard of the um, mutating frogworm? Um, I don't know. I don't know much about the frog one. I know about the snail and I know about the ants. Uh, the ants. Yeah, there's a um, 
Well, there's a couple of the ant parasites. There's the fungus that's like the oh right, kind of the, the fungus. And there's also, um, I think it's a worm that causes the ant to climb to the top of a tree, and it engorges the ant's abdomen, so it looks like a berry, and birds eat it, because the bird is the final stage. Oh, I remember that one. It's gross. Oh, speaking of ants, I remembered another one, because there are other ways of parasitism. You don't just have to be disgusting. Being a thief makes you a parasite as well. It's called kleptoparasitism. Uh, my favorite thieves in the animal kingdom, well, one of them, is the slave maker ant. It's a species that has evolved to steal ants from other colony and force them to work to take care of their children it's awesome and horrible at the same time like most parasites fun activity to learn about slave maker ants there's a great youtube montage of them because they'll do full-on raids on other anthills um just find like a, a good video of that and just put like the battle of helms deep music over it um and just enjoy yourself it's a good time you know, I'm thinking of just putting Benny Hill, just a little like. I don't know. There's so many. You just put epic battle music or ridiculous nonsensical crap, and it will still be good. But those, yeah. yeah, those are the three major relationships that you find in the animal kingdom. And like I said, almost every animal has them. Human society is built on relationships, but Pokemon has those relationships built in, whether they wanted to or not. So let's go ahead and learn about the teamwork we find in the Pokemon world. All right, yeah, so circle back around to mutualism. And uh, this is a really cool one, um, the Spotted Salamander. Well, uh, we'll start with the, the Pokemon first. So everybody loves Bulbasaur, the uh, OG grass starter and just all-around good boy. Um, and then... They talk about in the game his relationship between himself and his plant on his back. And this mirrors a real-life animal and a, a, kind of like a rarity in that it's like one of the very few, if maybe only, photosynthetic vertebrates or ones that has an it's amount the, of photos. Only one? It's the only one we know of that right. so far. Lucas, you want to feel a little bit of the spotted salamander fun facts? So the, the salamander, it's this was actually the first Pokemon I talked about in my very first panels of doing the Pokemon science stuff. Uh, with Bulbasaur and with the spotted salamander, what happens is at birth, uh, when these um, salamanders are in their egg, they have an algae that will grow onto them and to their egg casing and a lot of times make their way inside the egg casing. Now because of that, the oxygen that these algaes are giving off as poop is going to help feed and grow the um young the little uh the little tadpole while it's still in the egg and in return the algae gets some place to live algae needs three things to live a place to sit it's going to need sunlight and it's going to need water and that's all it needed and so because of that it's the only relationship we know of where a plant is attaching itself to a vertebrate and that's what makes it so special bulbasaur is the exact same way in the pokedex it says at birth that this animal gets a seed implanted on its back and so that's something i found that was so cool that they have this in the game as the number one pokemon has one of the best relationships with what it's doing it's so cool it really is it's um i love salamanders and i remember like when the news about this came out that like they had found because it's like a fairly recent um discovery and yeah, it's, it's like just... four or five years yeah. So uh, the other one, honestly, and I don't mean to sound too hokey, um, Pokemon trainers and their Pokemon would also count as a mutualistic relationship as well, provided the trainer's not, you know, a jerk. Uh, yeah. If, with a Pokemon, if if you think about it, the Pokemon's getting a pretty good deal out of this. Like, 
the Pokemon, yes, it does have to fight. Yes, it could get hurt. But think of what it's getting at a benefit. It is getting the best medical care. It is getting stronger than it would get in its natural environment. And there are a lot of chances where finding a mate is hard. But your master literally, oh, hey, I found you a mate. She's perfectly matched with you. You don't like her. Oh, I'm sorry. Here's a ditto. Surprise You're going to like her anyway. <laughs> Surprise, it's a ditto. Oh, God, that's... If I was a Pokemon breeder, that would be my slogan. The Breeder Lucas, surprise! It's a ditto. It's it's um it's cool to think that the Pokemon and the trainer itself they each get something out of it. The trainer gets fame, glory, love, companionship, a way to get away from mom's house, and the Pokemon gets all the benefits of survival without having to work as hard. Exactly. Yeah. So I think uh, let's go into the commensalism. So these are the one side of relationships, and this is where we have our disagreement. For me. Remora's, um, so Remoraid attaching onto Mantine. So that actually is a mutualistic relationship where Remora, Remoraid will actually fight with Mantine and help defend it. So that's mutualistic. In the real world, Remoras, to be quite honest, for the most part, they don't really do much. In fact, they're more of an annoyance for manta rays, for sharks, especially whale sharks. You know what spinner sharks are. You've seen them on the water before, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're usually – I've seen them do it, and they're doing it to knock off the remoras because it's a sucker fish that just won't let go. Yeah, I've seen some uh, seen some pretty big rays do this uh, – big eagle rays especially do the similar things. Yeah, they will knock them off too. It's one of those things that – I don't know. It's weird that they kind of switched it to make it a better relationship. But uh, no, in, in normal cases, uh, remoras are just kind of mildly irritating and a little bit mentally taxing. Aside from that, well, you gotta watch the you gotta watch the big remora uh, PR lobby. You know, they're over there trying to whitewash remoras <laughs> and uh, bump them up, bump them up to be in mutualism. Whenever, <laughs> <laughs> just uh, I could just see the massive PR came in. It's just all remorades and suits. It's just all like, come on, guys, keep typing. That's who's making the Pokedex. It's the remorades. I finally feel exactly. I finally feel woke. <laughs> but uh, as far as commensalism goes, there aren't too many commensalism relationships in Pokemon. Usually it's going to be mutualism because it's a kid's game. You want to focus on teamwork and making things better. But our next section, yeah, not so much. All right, guys. Yeah, so uh, fair enough warning. This next part gets like uh, – you will you might feel like itchy uh, listening to it. I uh, know it definitely – Like vomiting? Like that, yeah, skin crawling, all that good stuff. Because um, talk about some real-life parasites – and their Pokemon equivalents. Um, so the first one who is adorable and I love him is Joltik. He's so cute. He's so whittle. He's adorable. He was in Detective Pikachu. He was climbing up the electrical poles. He was so cute. I want to see it more now. Uh, even more. <laughs> but um, yeah, so he's um, based off a tick. And ticks, you know, everyone kind of knows what a tick is. It's an arachnid. It attaches itself to its host and it's unpleasant. And they can carry a lot of diseases, which is bad. But Joltik in the Pokemon games... Um, attaches to the fur of larger stuff, and it lives off the static electricity they, they generate. So I guess he would be more of a commensal, but he's based on a parasite, so I'm putting him here. And um, he's an electric type, which gets paralyzing moves. And it's funny that they combine paralysis with ticks, because there's a real-life equivalent, and that is the Australian paralysis tick. Of course. It, why is it always from us? Can Australia have something that doesn't want to kill me? Yeah, they have the cute possums. I think they want to kill us, but they just can't. It's okay. 
they do their uh, best. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's a tick that instead of trying to avoid being plucked off and finding a sneaky spot to hide by its host, it could just paralyze its host while it feeds and give itself a nice way to get its meal. Huh? Did that affect humans? Um, according to some uh, a little bit of research I did, it can. Um, typically, I don't think it's full body paralysis with like at least adult humans. And I've seen like limb and facial partial facial paralysis from it. Um, but I think like smaller dogs or like children uh, could be fully paralyzed by one. Jesus, I mean, for Joltik, at least he's not that bad. Although to be gone, if they're small, but can you, you imagine like an Ursarang that's just covered in Joltiks, like it can barely move because they're just feeding off all the static of that fur? Oh, an Electivire. Electivire is pure electricity. They would just swarm them. Oh, they, yeah, he would not move fast. Yeah, he would not be. Like, no matter how small they are, you get enough of them. It's like, eh, just ugh, all over you. They're cute. It'd be so cute. But just for the Electivire, it'd be so terrifying. It would. I think for the best example of parasites, the Ultra Beast decided to give us two. So you take the first one. All right. So um, the first Ultra Beast that, I, um, yes, is uh, Nihiligo, Nihiligo. I, I, I say Nihiligo. So we're going with that one. And it's uh, like a sim. It's Ultra Beast's name is like UB Symbiont. So just like Venom, it merges with its hosts, and um, it can augment their abilities, but it's also draining them of their life energy. And uh, the Pokédex in Ultra Moon uh, mentions how it appeared from Ultra Wormhole, and it lives as a parasite that feeds on people and Pokemon. And there are a few parasites that while draining their host. I mean, most of them want to keep their host alive, but there are a few that could maybe like enhance the abilities or compulsions because it's, um, it's explains in the Pokemon games that Nihiligo will um, like kind of sort of incur, like lower the inhibitions of its host. And a lot of the parasites that want to be eaten by a predator so that they can move up to the next stage in their life cycle will do a similar thing. Like uh, we talked about the ants that they climb to the top of a tree. So birds eat them. There's a snail that'll climb to the top of grass. Um, stuff like that where it it, uh, it wants to be eaten. So it affects the host behavior. Causes Peter Parker to think he's in Saturday Night Fever. Like it lower – it's it does some pretty terrible stuff, man. Oh, yeah. It's awful. Parasites ruined Spider-Man 3. A lot of things ruined Spider-Man 3. Uh, before I get to – um. Uh... Before I get to the UBI, I forgot to mention there is the other types of parasites, uh, the ones that steal. Murkrow, Meowth, pretty much any Pokemon with Thief, they would all technically be considered parasites. In the Pokedex, Murkrow is talked and about stealing things, shiny objects from people. Meowth is said to steal things. Uh, Gabite and Sabalai, I believe they have a relationship like that. It's um, You do get some thieves in there. That Yes, stealing is technically classifying you as a parasite. Uh, but the um, the the worst of them to me, the absolute worst parasite is um, well, it's not a parasite in the game. It's what it represents. Um, now help me pronounce this: Nagan Naganadel. Oh uh, yeah, Naganadel or Naganadel. I think some people say it. Whatever. They know what I'm talking about. That was the poison dragon that was added in uh, Ultrasound of the Ultra Moon. While in and of itself, it's just a terrifying wasp. To me, it's a way more terrifying wasp because its body, its anatomy is graphically to me screaming parasitoid wasps and parasitoid wasps are one of the best evolved most terrifying parasites on the planet on a cellular level they are out there trying to to, to just be the very best parasite like no one ever was uh with their life cycle what happens is they are going to find a host and the host is anything from a caterpillar there are some that will even go after tarantulas 
they have an ovipositor right by their stinger. So they just sting, 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 sting. And then as they're stinging, their eggs are deposited into the host. Now the host doesn't really know this, but he'll start to feel the effects. He will, he'll get up from the, from being stung. He'll notice he's not dead and he'll go on and move around. But what's happening is the eggs are going to start hatching. When they hatch, the larva has no butt. It is a completely, it's an incomplete digestive system. Thereby, it doesn't trigger the animal's immune system. Even if the animal's immune system does respond, some parasitoid wasps have made it so it cuts out the immune system, almost in a similar way to HIV. I believe the new college humor show, WTF 101, did a whole thing on it. But eventually, eventually this wasp is going to make its way out. When these wasps pop out of the caterpillar tarantula, that's when the host noticed that something is wrong. So like I said, this thing is perfectly evolved to be the very best parasite on the planet. And Pokemon just threw that in the game. I, to be quite honest, I think they kind of had to take out all that because I'm pretty sure everything I just said is PG-13 at best. Yeah, um, there's some there's some heavy stuff. We haven't quite yet reached um, parasitoid wasps just yet. And terrifyingly enough, Naganadel is 11 feet long. Are you sitting? Oh my god! That what is its host? What would its host be? Waylords. I'm thinking Waylords or Snorlax. Can you imagine like a Snorlax, like just somehow more bloated, and then like a scene from Alien? Oh, he's fat because he's full of eggs. He, Snorlax is fat because he's full of eggs. Oh no! Oh my new head cannon! Ah, oh, it hurts. Alolan Snorlax is dead. Ah, uh, ah. Uh. All right, let's just let's get to the next part. We added I got to shake that out of my head. We added a new part for this episode because in the Pokédex, they don't show it in the game, but they do say it in the Pokédex. There are a couple of relationships that pop up, so I, I pulled up a couple. You ready to hear them? Let's hear them. All right, let's start with Dunsparce. Uh Dunsparce, it travels by digging through the ground. Diglett and Dunsparce share one another's tunnels happily. So, you know, that's that's mutualism. That's that's everyone working together. Gopher tortoise and burrowing owl. That's that's our equivalent. Keystone species. Keystone species. They help everybody out. All right. So that one's fine. Happy dandy. La la la. This next one should be the same. It's about Pelipper. Okay. It places small Pokemon into its spacious beak and carries them around. No one knows where it's taking them. That doesn't. That sounds like predation. That just sounds like it's eating them. Yeah, um yeah, that's that's not that's not a fun activity for the the ride getter. Like, like that literally looks like uh, if a jaguar is carrying like a fish away from a river, it's just oh no, he he's not eating it. He's carrying it somewhere else. Nobody knows where. Yes, we do. It's eating them. Pelicans will eat things. It's what they do. Uh, you've seen the pelican pigeon video? Yeah, I have. It's um kind of upsetting. Nah, it's fine. It, it's it's what the pelican's supposed to do. Again, no, that that's not a relationship. That's food. <laughs> I think it's that time too. The pelican's like being fle- uh, fed bread or something, and then as the pigeon walks by, he just decides that bread's not cutting it that day. I mean, he's on that keto. He's got a he, no carbs. Got to eat that protein. Watch those carbs. Yeah, yeah. Watch those carbs. Uh, so Flygon. Um, his is actually pretty cool. Um, uh, by flapping their wings, Flygon causes sandstorms that conceal Crocodile. The team then splits the prey that they catch. 
So this reminds me of the grouper and eel that are on coral reefs. So this is a mutualistic relationship. It's also kind of like the um, the coyote and badger tag team on land. Oh, okay. So I'll do the I'll do the reef one. You do the badger one. Uh, with, Sounds good. With the reef, what happens is there are groupers that will team up with more eels. The grouper is big enough and swift enough to kind of go around the coral, but it cannot get into the rocky crevices. The more eel, the exact opposite problem. It's not fast enough to chase anything or block the entrances, but it can slip into just about any hole that it needs to in order to find its food. And so that team-up operation will work with the Moria will go in and catch what it can and anything it can't. It just chased out for the grouper to consume. They will actively look each other out. And the Blue Planet has this video, and they're just swimming together. They're just swimming like friends, like looking for food. They will actively search each other out. It's wild. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty similar to the land equivalent, which is a um, a badger and a coyote, where uh, normally with burrowing animals, where maybe on a flat run a badger is not the fastest critter, and uh, coyotes can dig, but they can't really tunnel or go down into tunnels nearly as well as a badger. So, so if there's like a prairie dog or a ground squirrel in a hole, the badger will go into the hole, and um, if there's a like while the coyote kind of stands lookout, and if there's a hole like an escape escape route and the squirrel runs out of the hole, he's not going to outrun the coyote on open ground. And if he stays in the hole, um, he's not about to outfight a badger. Everyone wins except the squirrel. Yeah, except for the squirrel. Nobody nobody feels, should feel bad for the squirrel. He fought hard, but he, he got outplayed. He got outplayed. The, this last one was the weirdest one because I can't think of how it would actually compare to anything in nature. Um, this is for Jagalgi, the um, poison dragon. Man, the poison types really are jerks. Uh, the poison dragon... Uh, Kelpie Sea Dragon. So this vicious Pokemon sprays a a poisonous liquid on opponents that come near. For whatever reason, it gets along well with Delmize, the, the anchor algae Pokemon. And I'm trying to come up with why. Why are they hanging out together? I wish I knew. I mean, yeah, he's a Dragalge's based off like a leafy sea dragon, so I could see him maybe hiding near Delmize, and maybe Delmize just likes things that are equally leafy as himself. But um. Yeah. Maybe they just pick on the other fish Pokemon. Maybe they just like I'm just imagining a Delmize like beating the snot out of a Magikarp and Dragalge just laughing at it. <laughs> just like just nonsensical whooping. Yeah, I saw a um I remember like I, I read on the, the Pokedex for Delmize a while ago, just how creepy the thing is. Um it says its seaweed can reach out for hundreds of yards. Ooh. Oh, that I don't like that. That would act, that that's unpleasant, but that does explain something. With Dragalgi, that means that it's probably hiding with the algae. So even if yeah, they, it's habitat. Oh, thank goodness. Oh, I'm a grass water type. I can survive this. Oh, oh no, oh no, that that would work. So I don't know what the Delmize gets out of it. Maybe just a friend. I mean, even if you're the worst possible Maybe person. A yeah, everyone needs a friend. Like, Pol Pot had friends. Hitler had friends. Not great friends, because they didn't stop them from being Pol Pot or Hitler. But, you know, they had friends. Yeah. All right. They had, <laughs> they had friends. On that note, I think we'll go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll go and get to the segment. All right, yeah, so uh, that'll be our show for the day. Thanks, everybody, for coming out. Um, you can check us out on... Uh, at PokeScience on Twitter or at Pokemon Science? Crap, Lucas, which one is it? <laughs> it's Pokemon Science on Twitter. Pokemon Science. Poke Science on Facebook. That, there we go. Got them mixed up. Sorry about that. 
No, it's all good. Now, uh, as we said before, we do have a Patreon now, and we did have a new patron. So, Holly, you're not alone anymore. So, this guy just calls himself Fletcher. So, Fletcher, here's a shout-out. Your profile picture is a realistic talent frame. I'm cool with that. I mean, if this was back in Gen 6, it would not be, and you would be kicked out of the Patreon. I don't care how much money you're given. I still but be no, cool with thank it. you. Yeah, yeah, you would be miserable little. No, thank you so much for donating. I appreciate it. And now there are two people who judge our fates eventually in the future. For real, thank you so much. Um, it really means a lot. Um, if I use a talent flame on a team anytime soon, I will nickname it after you in your glorious honor. Oh, we don't. He didn't even need to pay extra for that. So. Uh, we do also have t-shirts now. We have, I wore mine to my the Detective Pikachu showing. Uh, you should wear your, I, did, you, wear, you wore yours to the VGC event, right? Uh, yeah, I've worn it to a couple of VGC events now. Um, Incineroar is sitting at like 75 to 80% usage, so um, can't get enough of him, I guess. Uh, people really liked the shirt, though. Thought it was fun. All right, so we'll just we'll just throw a shirt. We'll get a t-shirt cannon once we get, once the Patreon money rolls in, yes. we'll get a t-shirt cannon. <laughs> Now we also have our um, uh, our email, uh, pokescience at yahoo.com. So you, if you want to send us a message about what you think we can do better with the show, what you think we're doing amazing at, hate mail, love letters, we'll take whatever you want. We'll just we'll goof off about it with a couple of beers and some wings. That's pretty much our style at this point. <laughs> but no, um, thank you guys so much. Thank you so much for listening. You guys are the best fans we could ask for. You guys are really really great. Now, uh. Again, see you guys next time. Next time, we're going to be talking about bears and telling you why Beware is not actually a bear. Bye-bye, everybody. They are real bears, Lucas. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody.